the pursuit of spiritual life in deliberate spiritual practices. I mean, the practices are not all of life. They're a means to an end, but they are something to engage in. But that that pursuit was much more experimental than, than I ever had any idea. I always thought it was just, here's the stuff you do, then you've done your devotional things, and then you'll change and to realize, um, no, I, I will have to approach this with a very curious, open mindset to see what is there that I can learn from this and what, how does it impact my life or does it impact my life? You are listening to the Rule of Life podcast by Practicing the Way. In each season, we explore an ancient practice from the way of Jesus and its relevance for the modern era. This is season four, Solitude. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Rule of Life podcast. I'm John Mark. I'm here with Bethany Allen. Good morning, Bethany. Good morning. So good to be with you. We're also here with John Orberg, but don't say anything yet, John. We're going (laughs) to pretend that you're not here. We're going to intro you, and then you get to talk for the whole rest of the time. Mm -hmm. But The magic behind the podcast. So here we are, episode two. Yeah, episode two. So today we begin to explore four conversations that we're going to have with some special guests about the practice of solitude. And like you said, up first is John Ortberg. Now, a lot of you already know this, but John is a longtime pastor. He was Mm. the pastor of Menlo Church in the Bay Area, right by Stanford, um, for many years. Uh, But he's best known as an author of many books, which I'm sure... A lot of you have already read, but uh, these books include Soul Keeping, Eternity is Now in Session, and Who is This Man? Mm. John, one of my favorite things about you, I'm supposed to pretend that you're not here yet, but one of my favorite things about (laughs) you is I don't think a lot of people know, because you're so known as a pastor and writer, that you trained as a clinical psychologist. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you blend together Mm -hmm. psychology and spirituality Mm -hmm. and bring, you know, these two things that have been tragically separated in Western culture in recent history, not historically, back together. And uh, you just have such a depth of insight, such a wealth. So thank you for coming on. And we are now here to explore solitude with John Orberg. The Solitude Practice is a four-week experience designed to be run in your church, small group, or community. It combines teaching, conversation, and spiritual exercises to introduce you to this ancient discipline for life with God. If you come on the Solitude Practice, you will not just learn about solitude, you will learn how to practice solitude. The end goal is to integrate solitude more richly into your rule of life so that you can arrange your life around God. The solitude practice is completely free, thanks to the generosity of our friends in the circle. Available now at practicingtheway.org. John, um, this conversation that we're about to have can I is, talk yet, by the way? You're allowed to talk now. Sweet. You are now that allowed to talk. Welcome, John. That was a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> For a preacher to not talk. Uh-huh. 
Uh, so this conversation is a companion to this four-week practice that we just put out with Practicing yeah. the Way, which is kind of a, a four-week experience for a community to go through to integrate solitude, silence, and stillness into your life. And so kind of in episode one that this conversation is tied to, we explore this Greek word aremos, or the wilderness, or the deserted place, mm. or the quiet place, mm. or the solitary place, mm. all how it's translated, and how Jesus would just regularly kind of oscillate back and forth between time in thick community and then time alone. And, uh, you know, we said in the last session that, you know, Sherry Turkle from MIT, her idea of alone together, it's like nowadays people never really go into community, like relationships are so superficial and transactional and transient and never really are alone mm. because even when we're alone, we're tethered to the world through our devices, you know? So first off, I mean, I just would love to hear, you've been in Christian spiritual formation and in the church for decades now. Have you seen like this practice decrease over the decades and generationally, or has it just always been kind of conspicuously absent from American Christianity? Um, I grew up kind of white bread evangelical in a Baptist church in the Midwest. And when it came to spiritual growth, we kind of only had two arrows in our quiver, and mm. that was Bible study and prayer. Yeah. And then probably church, and you know, yeah. people expected that you would give something. And prayer something. was intercessory prayer. Yeah. Pr yeah. Prayer was, it was largely a black box. I mean, it's a great point. Uh, I, I don't remember getting much teaching on what do I do with my mind when I pray. Yeah. And mm. so prayer would be very, very hard, but I didn't you know, the idea of there being exercises or approaches, um, you know, people would sometimes talk about what's the acronym. Um, yeah. Acts, right? Acts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Adore, adoration. Confess. Yeah. yeah. yeah but like giving. adoration, I would find if I, if I try to adore God, God, you're wonderful. And like, I've run out of steam real quickly. <laughs> um, but solitude uh, as a practice, um, you know, the idea of intentionally withdrawing as a way to make space for God and to use for change. I, I, I had no idea what that was about. I don't remember mm. when I was a kid growing up ever hearing about that kind of idea. Um, for me, it was mostly this fellow Dallas Willard uh, and yes. his writings and life that were hugely impactful. So I, I began to learn a lot more about it then, but not when I was, when I was growing up in church, no. Mm. Yeah, and so for those of you listening, you were, I don't know if this is the language you would use, but you were personally mentored by Dallas for 20 years or something like that, right? Or in relationship with him? You know, he had a hugely disproportionate uh, impact on my life. We never um, worked at the same place. Um, when I first read him, I was living in Simi Valley. He was living in a house um, where his wife Jane still lives, which coming here is very reminiscent. It's of. over the hill from here, yeah, actually. It is. Yeah, mm. it's over the hill, and it's also in kind of canyon hill country, Southern yes. California. <laughs> we're in Topanga Canyon right now, yep. as mm -hmm. we're yep. recording in my in my living room. So but lots of uh, resonance. Jane's over uh, the hill with that, um, but uh, it was really um, getting to know Dallas um, that the idea of spiritual disciplines and the impact that they can make first made sense to me. I mean, in some of the tradition you came from, there's actually like a lot of resistance towards spiritual disciplines. Well, right? you, 
people may not know that who listen to us much now. Mm. When I was a kid growing up, churches had Christian education departments. Nobody used the language of spiritual formation. Yeah. That was Catholic language. And uh, people didn't then use the language of spiritual disciplines much. Now it's kind of permeated the evangelical subculture. Mm-hmm. So it's used quite a lot. But no, then it would have connoted works righteousness. And, yes. and when I first went to Fuller, I was in the school of psychology because I was always interested in how do people change? Why is change so hard? Why does, how does faith intersect with that? Those were always the questions that felt most important to me. Yeah. But at that time, it was in the early 80s, spiritual formation was starting to make inroads into the evangelical church. Richard Foster had written his book, mm-hmm. Celebration of Discipline, which I didn't like at all. I felt like I already know I don't <laughs> pray and read the Bible enough. Now there's like 10 more disciplines. I got to feel bad about my life before I master them. Mm. Um, so there were people who were talking and writing about it. I wasn't drawn to it. Mm. Uh, I didn't move in that direction. And it wasn't until 10 years later, really out of my own frustration at lack of change, yeah. Mm. Where I was pastoring a church. So your interest early on is change, yes. growth of the soul. Yes. But you're resistant to practices or disciplines. Yeah. And, you know, um, scented cannel, hush puppies, you know, that kind of <laughs> granola culture. I was never drawn to. I was a Midwest kid. So, no, I, I, I wasn't, you know, not a hippie kind of person. Um, not touchy-feely. I, so the cognitive part of psychology was always fascinating to me. And, and how do people change? love life, love story, but the subcultural aspects that can sometimes be associated with yes. spiritual formation, mm. I'm not naturally drawn to that. Yeah. So it was much more- Same here. Eventually feeling, oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, eventually feeling like I'm not changing and I don't know how to change. And I went to Wheaton College and Fuller Seminary mm. and studied theology and psychology, and I still don't know. And then reading this book, for me, Spirit of the Disciplines was kind yeah. of the gateway drug to say, um, oh, there's real bright people who have thought very deeply about how does change happen and how does spiritual reality intersect with that. And there is a way, and it involves a kind of training, not just trying. And that's when the light bulb went on to me and all kinds of possibilities um, and even method became uh, attractive Hmm. and appealing to me that up until then were just disconnected. So they felt like random purposeless activities. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. What were your first forays into solitude and silence mm-hmm. like? Yeah. So, uh, so at some point you began to explore this thing that you've been. So for me, I, I had read this for. book, Spirit of the Disciplines, mm-hmm. and read it over and over again. That's the the book that uh, yeah. for me Shapes, outside of the yeah. Bible, that book is uh, all of practicing the ways based on that book impacted basically. me more yeah. than any other book I've ever read. I still have, um, you know, copy of that book that I bought. 35 years ago and could tell you the seat on the plane where I read it. It was just a holy moment. Wow. And, uh, you know, it just felt like, oh, somebody has thought this through. Yeah. And uh, so just changed my life. And uh, I was living in Simi Valley. So I had written to Dallas and then found out he just lived a few miles away. And um, so went and talked with him. Uh, again, kind of like being here in this room. And the amazing thing was, uh, as good as his mind was, his heart was better. Wow. And when you would be with him, it was like 
the reality of God was as apparent to him as this microphone is to me. It, and, and when you're with him, you would just know this is somebody who it's just clear. And it was somehow in his body, you know, at the cellular mm -hmm. level. So I thought, I, I, I want this. So as you know, in the book, Dallas, uh, his approach is to talk about spiritual disciplines as only one part of spiritual life and spiritual change, but an yes. indispensable part. Mm -hmm. And he divides them into disciplines of um, abstinence, where you refrain from doing what you normally would do, mm -hmm. and then disciplines of engagement, where you actually do things that you normally wouldn't do, and that they actually help with um, sense of commission, where I got a problem with my don't muscle, so abstaining will help with that. And then sense of omission, where mm -hmm. I got a problem with my, I should be doing love and joy, so I got to strengthen my, so it's like, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, again, there's a, there's a uh, reason to it. And so solitude, Dallas would always say, is very, very fundamental. And I think probably especially in our day because we are so overwhelmed by stimulation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whole other topic we won't get into is this psychologist, Chick sent me high in his work around mm, flow. Flow, yeah. Mm. And uh, he just passed away this last year. He says, the number one finding in all of the decades of research around how do people experience flow is that the unaided mind tends towards chaos. Mm. Mm. And the ultimate challenge in life is the art of managing consciousness. Mm. That's the ultimate challenge. We're all, your life is this stream of consciousness, yes. your thoughts and feelings and so on. That level. is your life. Yeah. And um, if your life is miserable, it's because that stream is miserable. And so learning how do you manage that stream effectively so that it can be characterized by thoughts and then feelings and perceptions and then choices that are joyful and truthful and beautiful, um, that's the ultimate challenge. Mm. The fruit of the Spirit. And the difficulty in our day is that we can now outsource the managing of consciousness to screens. Right. Mm. And it's low cost. Let it do it for us. So it doesn't produce what he calls flow. It doesn't create greater complexity yeah. and capacity within us. Mm. Um, but I can avoid anxiety and anger and so just by outsourcing it. So the irony is, although we think of ourselves as quite advanced, it's very possible that our ability to manage consciousness is weaker than ever before in human history. Yes. Wow. Because mm -hmm. there's never been people before they had the, the availability to outsource the task. Yeah. So, so that's where Dallas would say solitude is as a starting point mm. is probably uniquely important in our day. Mm -hmm. And he would say, if you're going to teach people about spiritual disciplines, don't start with engagement mm. because we already feel so overwhelmed and overloaded and overcommitted. And one more thing to do. Exactly. One more mm -hmm. thing. It's got to start with one less thing to do. Yeah. Start with rest. And so, so, uh, I began to read and think about that and then decided that I would try solitude. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, when you name it, it becomes this different special thing. And yeah. in my mind, I had a picture of uh, it that was quite romanticized. And, you know, so I would go away and be <laughs> with God and it would be profound mm -hmm. and deep and I would have these remarkable experiences. And so I remember the first time I was going to try it for a day. Well, f first I thought, well, I'll just wait till I have a free day and then I'll go spend it in solitude. <laughs> and of course, I waited quite a while. A, and it didn't happen. a few months later. So, three years went by. Yep, yep. <laughs> then just the very simple but maybe helpful 
observation for folks that are listening to us. You actually will have to commit to this. You actually have to get out a calendar, whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. for you, and block it out, make that commitment. Okay, I did that. And then I went to uh, a place near Wayfarer's Chapel. Hmm. Uh, It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. The chapel was built by the son of Frank Lloyd Wright. And it's like just this gorgeous space where you can be a few feet away and because of the use of glass and wood, you don't even know it's there. And it's just quite near the coast. And um, so that's where I went. And I had a list of things to pray for. And so I prayed (laughs) them all. And I was about, I'd been there maybe 20 minutes. And I had run out of things to say. And God wasn't saying anything. And so then it was very frustrating for me. It was very difficult. And and I did not know what to do. Mm. So I just went uh, across PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, down to the beach and sat in a chair and looked at the ocean and, um, and then began to learn that solitude is much more experimental than what I had known. Mm. Yeah. And that actually um, the pursuit of spiritual life and deliberate spiritual practices, I mean, the practices are not all of life, they're a means to an end, but they are something to engage in, but that that pursuit was much more experimental than, than I ever had any idea. I always thought it was just, here's the stuff you do, then you've done your devotional things, and then you'll change. And to realize, um, no, I, I will have to approach this with a very curious, open mindset to see what is there that I can learn from this and what, how does it impact my life or does it impact my life? Mm. So it's much more like conducting little experiments. Mm. So I just didn't know what else to do. I sat there and looked at the ocean. And eventually certain thoughts came. I, I, I love pelicans. Mm. And so I would watch pelicans and watch when they would dive bomb into the ocean. And then uh, one of the thoughts that came was, just like I have designed them to live, and that means that they will do certain things, I have designed you to live in freedom and to do certain things. So, and that thought just came to you in that space. But I wasn't trying to have a thought. Yeah. It just came. So mm. part of what took a long time to come to understand is, uh, again, if you think of practices as engagement or as abstaining, solitude is a practice of abstinence. So it's not marked by what I do, it's marked by what I don't do. Mm-hmm. In solitude, I refrain from conversation, um, stimulation, having another person or noise come into my life. Um, that's all it is. Mm. And if I do that, um, certain things will happen. Mm. And um, one of them is generally I'll get a sense of freedom. Yeah, could you name those for yeah. Uh, so I'm a three on the Enneagram, so I always wrestle with John, you're looking good today. <laughs> you win. Yeah, that's right. That's what it's all about. You're doing a great job. So how's it going? What do you think? Yeah. So How would you rate it? I'm impressed. You're really well. Five stars. I think we can get better. Come on, we can do it. This could be the best episode ever. Um, and uh, so, it's, again, that's in me at the cellular level. It's just if it's another thing I didn't understand about sin a lot when I was growing up. I would think of sins as, you know, I lied or I stole or I lost it or whatever. And if I just worked at it hard enough, I could stop it. And then to realize, um, no, there is just ego and self-promotion going on inside me and I am powerless to stop it. Mm-hmm. There is mm-hmm. no switch. And it's just in me. Willpower is not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it's in my consciousness. It's in that stream. Yeah. And it taints it. It, it befouls it. Um, but when, I, when I'm all by myself, I can start to feel after a while in my body, oh, I am not who everybody says I am. I am not how everybody thinks that I am doing. Mm. And I'm here away from all that. And it's really good. I'm really glad to be alive and I'm glad to, and so I will begin to experience freedom and you know, it will be at, so in solitude, there's a gift of freedom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if I don't go into solitude, I will miss that gift. So Dallas used to say sometimes about the disciplines, um, they are all self-validating. Meaning? Uh, meaning, uh, if I'm engaging in solitude and it's something that's helpful, I will like my life better because I engage in it right. mm. than my life when I don't engage in it. When I don't engage in it, it will be like missing out on some vitamins. There will be health that I start to lose. Yes. Mm. So that idea- They're not religious duty. Exactly. It helps They're to get not, it out of the category yeah. of that I think a lot of- If you're a good Christian, with, you do these nine things yep, or- yep. yeah. And that they're arbitrary, that there's yeah. no particular point to them. Um, and uh, they're merit badges. And yeah. the way that you demonstrate how spiritual you are is yeah. um, by showing how committed you are to these disciplines. Tick the box. Yeah. 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 So to recognize, no, insofar as they're spiritual disciplines, they are only a means to an end. Yeah. And so if you don't need them, don't do them. Talk to us about that. You know, you've said that several times, and I think it's so crucial that the disciplines are not the spiritual life. They're yeah. just a part of it. And really, they're not even the main part of it. They yeah. just posture you yeah. for the main part of yeah. it. They are the means to an end. So what's the end? Like why go into solitude? What's yeah. the driving motivation? Yeah. So the God is not interested in something called your spiritual life. He's just interested in your life. Mm. Mm. Just your life. That's that stream that's going on inside you, the inside of the tree, uh, and particularly love, and that you be able to love, to love God all the time, and I'll, I'll think about that. I have been reading through this book, The Cloud of Unknowing, written many mm -hmm. centuries ago yeah. recently, and it will be quite challenging around that notion of just deeply loving God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's his line about just arrows of love going mm -hmm. to heaven? Yep. And, uh, you know, when I think about, boy, how often do those arrows go for me? Uh, not nearly as often as they could, or I wish they would. And then just to love other people so that when I'm with somebody to not be thinking about how am I doing? How do you think I'm doing? But yeah. how are you doing? Yeah. To be genuinely interested in you and wanting to know and seeing beauty in each person. So that's what God is interested in. It's just life. I've come that you might have life. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I grew up, if somebody asked me, how's your spiritual life going? I would translate that as, how are my quiet times going? Yeah. Mm. And as long as they were quite regular, I think my spiritual life is going quite well. So wow. it took a long time to realize um, you can't gauge your life by devotional practices or else in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would be the ones that are always doing great. Yeah. Um, so it's really just about my capacity to be able to experience love and joy and peace through the Spirit. And then the practices are a means towards an end of growing in that. So yeah. they're kind of making space to God, mm. making space for God, um, disrupting 
the automatic flow that usually dominates my life. Yeah. Mm. So um, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold, Romans chapter 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea there is that when I'm with people, all of those modes of thinking and responding and um, talking and presenting myself um, are deeply, deeply habitual. And it's just hard to get free. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. I read that Victor Frankl line the other day. It's famous, but you would be able to quote it verbatim, I'm sure. But, you know, freedom lies in that little hair's breadth between stimulus and response. Mm-hmm. What you do between stimulus and response, that's who you are, you yeah. know? But I just find in the busyness and the noise of life, I'm almost powerless yeah. mm-hmm. in between. My body just takes over before my heart can actually live. The, but you're saying solitude like enlarges that gap between stimulus and response and you pull away from the world. Is that what, I, is that what I'm hearing? And you get more space to respond differently. I think it can enlarge the gap between stimulus and response, but it's also an opportunity to develop another response to the stimulus. Mm-hmm. That's good. And so that's where, um, to a large, large, large extent, you know, spiritual formation is really about habit formation. Habit is a tricky word. One of the problems with habit is we often think of habits like having a quiet time or exercising or uh, rather than realizing actually um, uh, almost all that I do is habit. Mm -hmm. So what do I see when I see people? Mm -hmm. Do I see someone who's really interesting? Do I see this person is attractive and this person isn't? This is somebody that I can use. Uh, this, this person is can help me. Love. This person's in the way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You're saying that's a habit. Uh, th- yeah. How yeah, you perceive yeah. people. Yeah. Mm. It's like uh, I grew up playing tennis. So if I'm watching a movie and there's tennis players in the movie, I, if they're serving and they're not a good tennis player, I cannot not see that. Um, same thing could be true of the baseball player mm-hmm. or or whatever. My son is a great surfer. We can both be looking at a wave. He can tell immediately, take that wave. That's habit. You you are learning to see. And um, so we, we have a hard time. I, I swear that I, I wish there was better language for that yeah. because our lives are just simply by far mostly outsourced to habit. Mm-hmm. And so mostly if I'm afraid, it's simply because I habitually generate fear-producing thoughts. Mm. And um, if I'm always trying to impress people, it's because those are the thoughts that I generate. So... When I go into solitude- Which goes back to consciousness, you're saying, management of consciousness. Exactly, yeah, yeah. There is the possibility there that uh, I might experience more and more freedom, which we would, which would get into my body, so that then when I come back out and I talk with you, if I can carry some of that freedom, hmm. then when you say something to me, instead of thinking, oh, how can I be clever in response to this? I might think, oh, that's a really interesting thing. I wonder what's going on. I wonder as I look at John Mark's eyes, what's he feeling right now? <laughs> or, you know, what's going on with Bethany's smile? So it's, you know, uh, it's changed at that level where the stuff that comes out of you can be genuinely different. Yeah. Hey there, my name is Jimmy. Uh, I'm a husband, a new father, and a web designer living in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, A couple months ago, before our daughter was born, I took a weekend trip down to a local monastery in Kentucky. And I went because a couple of our friends in our community went there and mentioned having a good experience. And I'm a naturally introverted person, so I thought that would be fun. 
Um, but I also wanted to go on a more serious, for a more serious reason, um, to wrestle through um, some spiritual doubts I've had and just create space for that and prepare to be a father as best as I could. And while I was there, I journaled quite a bit. I took a long walk and um, those things were really enjoyable, but I didn't really feel like much was happening in my time of solitude. And it wasn't actually until I was driving back that I experienced a sense of peace that I was hoping to experience during that time. And more specifically and more meaningful to me was I didn't feel like much was happening during my time of solitude, but it was noticeably there was a noticeable difference um, when I came back into community. I was much more present in the moment. I feel like I was able to see people's faces in a way I wouldn't normally on a normal day and could just listen so much better because I had just slowed down um, from that time alone. And so that was what was re really meaningful to me and my takeaway from my time in solitude was just uh, not necessarily having a profound experience during this time of solitude, but man, it makes a difference when you come back to community. Can I ask a question, John? Because I think what you're naming, especially for people who are newer to this practice, mm -hmm. is really helpful. I come from like a similar, more Baptist, like yeah. quiet time, do the... Um, do the list. And these are the two things we do. Read the Bible, we pray. So even my journey to engaging in the practices sounds similar. I'm finding a lot of resonance with what you're sharing about your journey. But I think it's really helpful to hear um, the breadth of the experience that yes. you're naming, yep. um, the emotional world. The honesty of it. Yeah. The, just there's a lot of texture, uh, for lack of a better word, to what you're saying. But I'm thinking about people who are listening and going, I'm just good. trying this for good, the first good, good. time. Yep. Could you help close the gap or speak to, yeah, like I've, I've been a checklist person. I love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I love the church. I'm trying to figure this out. How do I move from being that person of, of existing or understanding communion with God through these this more narrow lens to actually moving into a place internally and externally where I can experience the encounter you're talking about or the freedom you're talking about because that path, no, but, you know, do you know where I'm going here? I, I totally yeah. do. And it's a great question. And ironically or paradoxically or something, the first place is you let go of the demand to experience any of that or actually to experience That's anything. Amazing. Yeah. Mm. And you think so, that's like the prerequisite. It's a prerequisite. To solitude. Good. It's just it's like yeah, falling asleep. It's good. You know, <laughs> try really hard to fall asleep. See how that works it's for you. It's true. There are certain things that can come to you, but you cannot force them. Yeah. So with solitude, for anybody who's listening, let's get real practical. Set aside a time. Don't try to be heroic with it. Yeah. Trying to do it for a day was probably too much. I'm I'm an introvert, so it's easier for me. Nancy's an extrovert, so she hates solitude. Like for her, <laughs> solitude wouldn't be so bad if I could just take a few friends along with yeah. me. <laughs> Um, yes. So set aside a period of time. You can decide what it would be. And then all you're trying to do is don't talk with somebody. Don't look at a screen. Um, don't distract yourself by reading. It's about what you don't do. Now, it's kind of like a jar where you can pray. You could do self-examination. You could you read can, scripture. You can meditate. Mm -hmm. You can do certain things. But initially, don't worry about that. Um, all you're trying to do is don't do anything to distract yourself yeah. mm. and then you'll see what, the, and then, and then you win. Okay. Yeah. So like 
Yeah. That's it. You yeah. did what That's you it. needed Check to do. Check the box. Because th- yeah. things will happen. One of the things mm. that will happen is you'll find out what's going on in your mind. Yeah. So you, you allow thoughts to come. Mm. And uh, I would find uh, a lot of thoughts that would come would, would be either success fantasies, which because I'm in ministry, so I'm being really successful. <laughs> Or passive aggressive anger fantasies because I'm yeah. Scandinavian. So in my anger fantasy, I don't hurt you. I make you feel terrible for hurting me. So so wow. to allow those to come, and no then I had a real wise person that I would talk with about this stuff, Sister Jean. And uh, when I would describe what had happened, because when I was done, I would take a few minutes just to write down what took place mm. and what what were the what were the um, volcanoes and the black holes? What were the hot spots where it felt like there was energy and stuff going on? And where were the dead spaces? Mm. And for instance, very often I would find myself the, the main thing I would experience is I'm really tired. Mm. Yeah. And so sometimes I would just need to go to sleep. Yeah. And then she would always ask me, and did you tell the Lord that you were tired? And for a long time, I said, no. And then she would say, do you think it would be a good idea? <laughs> so th- that idea of uh, when I'm in solitude and then thoughts or experiences come, um, if I think to do it, actually talk to God about it. Just mm. tell him, I'm really tired right now. Mm. And then see, perhaps a thought would come. Mm. Um, but for anybody who's listening to us, carve out a time, don't try to be heroic with it, mm. and then don't try to have an experience. My, one of my big problems was uh, I felt like I needed to generate having these deep experiences yeah. with God or else I had failed. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember one time fairly early on going on a uh, solitude time where a few of us went, it was kind of a retreat thing, and then we went off on our own. And then we were going to come back together and process together what happened while you were alone. Mm. And I can still remember, it was probably about five minutes or so from the end, thinking, gosh, I haven't had a thought to tell him about. I got to come up with something (laughs) I'm going to tell him about. We've all been there, John. (laughs) And it's like, so, okay, that's what I need to learn. Yeah, Mm, that's a thought to stay with. Yeah, Mm. my life mostly consists of... Um, how can I get people to think about me the way that I want them to think about wow. me? And that's mm-hmm. a miserable way to live, mm-hmm. but that's where my life is. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I was alone, I had the opportunity to come to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading, there's this book, uh, Thomas Wingfold Curate by George MacDonald that I love a lot. And uh, Thomas Wingfold is this pastor who discovers he doesn't know what he believes. Mm-hmm. And so he goes on this journey. It's a remarkable, it's very meaningful book to me. But at one point, the guy who's kind of his guide knows an insight that Wingfold needs, but he deliberately doesn't tell him because he doesn't want to rob him of the impact that will come if he gets it by discovery mm-hmm. rather than by presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for those of us who are teachers, it can be very tempting to think, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, uh, again, part of the beauty of solitude is you can come to discovery in a way that will stay with you hmm. uh, that it never would if somebody just presented it to you. I, I think uh, another thing about solitude is um, it slows me deeply. Yeah. So ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your it, life. It's not a fast process. Mm. No. Yeah, it it can't be. You can't. Solitude and hurry are just utterly incompatible with each other. Mm. Uh, 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 another 
uh, aspect of it is uh, you will discover that you have a soul. Hmm. And I often think of a soul kind of like a turtle, <laughs> you know, where it will only come out of the shell yeah. if it's real safe yeah. and real slow. Yeah. And it's like, oh. And it will be this sense of there is something unspeakably deep about being alive and about me being alive. And it is so precious and it's so stupid that usually I miss it and don't pay attention to it. And somehow it, it manifests yeah. in those moments, but, but never if you try to get it to, I love seeing whales. And I was with my son, Johnny, not too long ago. And he was saying, you will never see a whale if you're looking for a whale. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the soul is kind of like that. Parker Palmer you know, and let your life speak has that and that similar analogy of like, it's like waiting in the woods to see a wild animal. Mm -hmm. You just go out and oh. you get as still as you possibly can and you yeah. have no control. It might be two yeah. seconds later or two days later before yeah. you see a deer That's or really a, good. you just go in. But he said the soul is like that. Mm -hmm. It's like this wild animal that if you rush it, if you're loud, if you're noisy, you will never see it. Mm -hmm. You have to wait in the quiet. You and, know? and and I think along with that, um, Often in solitude, there will be this realization, other people are not as bad as I thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of like if you're a parent, you have kids, when they're sleeping, you just feel so much love for them and then they wake up and, and they wake up. Be real different. <laughs> um, but that sense of love when they're sleeping is not um, an illusion. Yeah. And often in solitude, things are not as bad as they seem. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I feel that a lot. And, and I think it's because in solitude, um, all of the attachments are dropping away. Mm. And I realize how this event went, um, how I got graded on this, what these people think. As I'm here, none of that really matters. Yeah. And so if all of that stuff doesn't turn out well, I can still just come here. Yeah. And I have this. Um, yeah. And God's bigness is there too. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, I, the experience in solitude for me is just also remembering the gift of being human, like mm -hmm. you were saying, the gift of the soul, but the gift of knowing God is everything and yeah. he's the biggest thing. And so I get to be, I get to have a deeper awareness. That's so interesting. How does that happen? How did you notice that? How did that begin for you? Oh, through panic. And yeah. I mean, all the, what you're talking about of letting yeah. the attachments go. Yeah. You know, I think, and we talked about this earlier in a, a different episode, but just about being stripped of mm -hmm. what you normally hold up before God, of what you normally can cover yourself with. I mean, it's very idyllic in some ways, you know, in that, that sense. But I think... I'm, you know, especially as leaders, as pastors, as teachers, these things, you you often assume you occupy space in a big way. You have, you're leading, you're thinking about what are other people thinking about me? And there's that exchange that's continually happening. And when I'm with God, I'm reminded, I'm slowed down enough to be reminded that I'm the kid. Mm. I'm not the parent. Yeah. Because I'm also yeah. running out of the answers that I normally try to offer other people and subconsciously offer myself, mm. my own dependency, my own strength. Um, and so there's just, I think through that stripping for me over years of this, um, 
one of my fav favorite realities of Sounds and Solitude, even if I have, even when, I should say, I'm always resisting it going in, um, is the experience of God being genuinely everything and mm. so much bigger mm. than what I thought yeah. my world really was. Yeah. No, I think that's true. And I think, um, uh, at least for me, nature is a big part of that creation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I love going to the ocean. <laughs> Um, or it could just be a tree yeah. and you get the sense of the immensity of what's going on yeah. in time and scale and how small I am next to that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting. Jesus did not go into a closet. Right. Mm. He went out into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the stripping of attachments thing, mm. you know, John, one like tragedy, I'm thinking of somebody I love deeply. I was in a conversation with a couple of days ago. This is a good person, loves God, faithful to Jesus in the way of Jesus. But she just kind of confided, yeah, I've never really experienced the love of God before. Mm. And I don't know how to architect that for someone. Because when I go into solitude, my brain goes a thousand directions and I spend 20 minutes just being really mad at somebody who I think is the evil one and then realize actually I was even more at fault. But, you know, I mean, my brain is just all over the place. But in those fleeting moments, and in all honesty, it's probably 3% at best of my time in solitude. But in those fleeting moments where I yeah. can make contact with God in my mind, I mean, it's an experience of being loved. I've been well loved. My parents were loving. My wife is extraordinarily loving. But I mean, the experience of love from God, it's overwhelming. And um, I want that so badly for other people, but then I hear other people don't have that experience, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where um, solitude is incredibly powerful and can be incredibly painful. Yeah. And that's why, you know, solitary confinement is yeah, the worst kind of the punishment ultimate punishment other than yeah. death, yeah. And, uh, mm. And again, the unaided human mind tends towards chaos. All that it is is just forcing you to live with your consciousness without a distraction. Wow. That's all it is. Sheesh. Um, but it says something about the nature of the way that our consciousness runs yeah. apart from God. Yeah. And that's, you know, primarily the love of God. And it's interesting. These last few years have had lots of pain for me and folks that I love a lot. And in the process of keeping numerous therapists uh, busy, <laughs> uh, I, I would uh, work with one of them quite a lot on just what are the thoughts that I'm having? And when I'm feeling depressed, uh, getting quite clear on what's the thought that's underneath that? What is it yeah. that I'm thinking? What is it that I'm afraid of? And how likely is it that that's true? And then working to find another thought that I genuinely believe that expresses what I really do think is true, mm -hmm. that I can think instead of this one, because I do believe that this is true. And so there's a, in doing that over and over, it's kind of like doing push-ups or something where your mind kind of gets used to, oh yeah, I can think this thought. And I realized when, as I was going through that, um, uh, behold the love that God has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and that that I could actually choose to dwell on that thought mm -hmm. so that 
you know, generally we all hunger to feel loved by God. It almost never is effective to try to force a feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Emotions don't work that way well. You, You can't will yourself into a feeling. We often want to do that. And then it becomes even more painful because when I don't, I feel like there's something wrong or other people can do that. And Something's wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. I'm not loved by yep. God. Yep. Inherently God yeah, maybe God real. doesn't love me or I don't experience him that way or yeah. he's not maybe that he way. Maybe doesn't exist, yeah. Uh, and it was very helpful for me to realize, actually, um, I can, as an act of the will, dwell on that thought anytime. Yeah, which is just a line from scripture. Yeah. Is just a line from scripture. Mm. Um, and I do think it's true. I think there's good reasons to believe that it's true. Mm. Um, but it was, it was actually kind of liberating and very helpful. And again, I think it was probably more because I wasn't doing it to be spiritual. I was actually just doing hard work yeah. on the therapy of life side. And it brought with it this realization. No spiritual no, actually, life, John. What's just that? No spiritual life. Just, <laughs> just life. life. Yeah, just life. Uh, so anybody who's listening to us, you can, uh, when you go into solitude, if you want to, just take with you one thought. Uh, mm. For God so loved the world. And bring that with you. And then when your mind goes someplace else, don't beat yourself up at all. Just very gently. Mm. Uh, now I will dwell on this thought. Yeah. And you can choose to do it. You run this, make it an experiment. Uh, you know, you can do that. Other thing I'd say, just on a real practical level, folks that will talk about habits, talk about how important it is that there be a reward attached to a habit that you want to develop. Mm -hmm. So if you do uh, go out and practice solitude, when you're done, smile. Yeah. Or get a milkshake. (laughs) Yes. Candy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Have something (laughs) like that. You might take a few moments to reflect on it. Um, but it's real important mm. not to end it by saying, I didn't do it good enough. Yeah. yeah. And I say that probably because I experienced that so much for so long. It's yeah. not something you do. Yeah. Right. It's just. Yeah. No, and I, I think we just tend to have so much guilt associated with yeah. spiritual life and spiritual practices. Yeah. And I'm not enough. Because and other people are doing better. But the or... problem is, it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it, it, it doesn't build. It doesn't grow. So at the end of it, no matter how imperfect that you think it was, um, celebrate it, have gratitude, do something um, to mark it positively to help it recur the next time around. That's a really important uh, small piece, but I think it'll help folks a lot in a real practical way. Mm-hmm. Practicing the Way is a crowdfunded nonprofit made possible by The Circle, a group of people from all over the world who believe deeply in the work of spiritual formation and discipleship and who give monthly to see formation integrated into the church at large. I'm Bethany from Manitoba, Canada, and I'm a part of this community. I have found practicing the way so helpful because it really affirmed the importance of spiritual rhythms and habits and gave me tools to be able to make my faith in Jesus more integrated into my lifestyle. To join myself and others in the circle, or to share a one-time gift, visit practicingtheway.org slash give. You know, John, there's a theme I'm hearing from you just about how when we go into solitude, we can't force a feeling or an experience. We can't control it. The whole point is just to make yourself available. It does make me think of, you know, there's a very helpful idea in Willard's thought paradigm 
of the practices or disciplines are something we can do to make space for God to do what we cannot mm. do. Mm. Yeah. So how I think about that, you know, I like to think of like, there's the disciplines, which are all within the reasonable range of our willpower. And then there's all the commands of Jesus, most of which are outside of the range of my willpower. <laughs> right. You know, love your enemy, be anxious for nothing, you know? And I genuinely want to do that, but I am not yet right. the person that can consistently not, not be anxious for my future. Mm. But what I can do is turn off my phone and practice Sabbath. I can, you know, take an hour and mm -hmm. put everything away and go in the backyard and just sit with God. That's within reasonably the range of my willpower. I yeah. can't control my consciousness. I can't be there and be perfect. But I can, I can give God that, and then, then it's on God. You know, I can't. You know, I'm thinking your stuff on willpower has been so helpful, but. Leslie Jamison has that beautiful memoir on addiction, and she says, I needed to believe in something stronger than my own willpower. Mm. And everything mm. in the cultural messaging of a, a Peloton world, you know, <laughs> is everything's about you, and you take control, and you have power, and you have strength, and you're a boss, and all this stuff. I just, what deluded thinking. I mean, there's truth in that, but right. I think the moment you began to move toward love, you quickly come to the end of your effective willpower. So, mm. I mean, I would love to, any uh, any thoughts you have to that? You spent more time in Willard's mind than any of us. But that idea for me seems really key to solitude and to all of the practices. They're what we can do so that God can do what we cannot do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when I first heard Dallas talk about the difference between trying to do something versus training to do mm. something. Yeah. And that we overestimate what we can do by trying and underestimate what we can do by training. And most of his commands for life, don't worry about tomorrow, those are things that you cannot do by trying really, really hard. Um, but you can do practices by trying. That's Those are things that are in the yeah. um, court of uh, our will and their training methods. And then I think another piece that took me longer, and it maps very much to what you're talking about, to understand is... Um, in many ways, I can still be in charge of training. So if I want to run a marathon, uh, it's important to recognize I need to train, not just try, but I can still be in charge and I can map out, I'll do mm -hmm. these practices and, I, and I'll get yep. to this point. Yep. And mm -hmm. so that's where uh, the, the addiction, well, and the addiction issue is a nice one because yeah. where that begins is um, uh, I, I, uh, acknowledge that uh, I am powerless and my life has become unmanageable. And then I come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to moral sanity. Yeah. And I turn my life and my will over. Mm. So uh, you're quoting from AA. From yeah. Those, yeah. From the 12 yeah. steps, which those, the first three are often summarized as I can't, he can, I think I'll let him. <laughs> I, I can't, that. he can, I think I'll let him. Those wow. are the first three steps. So that, uh, it's not, it's not just that trying doesn't do it, but I can cleverly engineer the life I want through training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's uh, surrender. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Dallas would often say the will is made to surrender to God. Mm -hmm. The will is made to surrender to God. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. It was this social psychologist, Roy Baumeister, who's written a wonderful book on willpower. And... Uh, uh, it touches on these issues of trying versus training mm. and how the will is very important, but it's very quickly depleted 
So uh, anytime you, you're trying to do impression management, you go on a date or a job interview, resisting temptation, um, being creative, um, trying to solve problems, all of those things require willpower and they deplete us very quickly. Mm. So our little store of willpower, that's your kingdom. So it's what makes you a person. It is utterly precious and indispensable, but uh, habits eat it for breakfast. It's very, very weak. Mm. The one thing the will can do that doesn't deplete it is surrender. Wow. Wow. And now Baumeister doesn't talk about that. Yes, that's but, not his. But it's deeply true. AA recognizes it. And it's so interesting. If you ever read through the big book, there's a section in it where um, Bill W. is talking about, you know, you can't stop drinking by willpower. But he talks about when you are um, confused, when you're agitated, when you're upset, thy will be done, thy will be done. He says, that's the proper use of the will. Wow. Mm-hmm. which is as exact the will was made to surrender to god and if you look at acts of the will everything else depletes the will very quickly Except anybody listening surrender. to this right now do this on your own thy will be done that's not a thought that is an act of the will wow. yeah that is an act of the will hmm. um i surrender god your will be done uh Richard Foster used to talk about, there was this old, old, old um, ad for a kind of iced tea. You guys are way too young to know this, but it was called Nest Tea. Mm-hmm. And they had this big ad campaign. It was called Take the Nest Tea Plunge. And it's this real hot day. Somebody takes a glass of Nest Tea and then they're just falling backwards into this beautiful, cool pool. And so th- that became this thing, Take the Nest. And that picture of surrender. Yeah. So now I just utterly let go into the arms of a loving God. Mm -hmm. And it is an act of the will, and it is available to you anytime, all day long, and it never depletes the will. The will was made to surrender to God. Yeah, Thomas Keating has that line in the human condition, what is it, the the chief act of the will is not effort, but consent. Yeah, Mm. same same idea, I think. The exact same, the highest. Yeah. Mm. Now, if you look at, yeah. If you look at Jesus, the ultimate example yep. of the true yeah. human being, and at the height of his spiritual powers, yeah. what does he say? Thy will, will be, be done. done. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you're saying is that solitude is a space where with our whole body we just surrender. And it may well be that that simple prayer, your will be done, um, is the most helpful thing for people to carry into solitude. Yeah. And then whatever it is that comes up, whatever the thought, whatever the distraction, whatever the being tired, whatever it is, your will be done, your will be done, your will be done. Yeah. Beautiful. There's one more question I want to ask you when Bethany and I and Brian were chatting about what all to ask you. And uh, Brian said, oh, we need to ask him about this. And I think he was right. But just, you've been around leadership your whole life. You are a leader. You've seen a lot, highs, lows, rise, fall. Is this an especially important discipline for those Mm. in leadership? Yes, 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 for sure. That's a rhetorical question. So maybe the question is solitude is particularly (laughs) because um, you cannot lead people effectively unless you're free of the need for their approval. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. And uh, cannot lead people you need something from. That's right. You know, part of what is unique about leadership is, and this is a whole nother topic, mm-hmm. it touches on our kingdom so deeply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the main reality of being a person is you have a little kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to lead people without violating their kingdoms. 
And that's why Jesus has so many warnings about leadership. Yeah. And um, so uh, for people who are in a position of leadership, um, you know, the desire or need to uh, misuse it, if you're a three, it will be, you may well surrender power to get people to do this. Mm. And uh, not be willing to engage in conflict, not be willing to challenge. So you get a, your kingdom has to be healthy. That will come in solitude if it comes at all. Yeah. If you're an eight, um, <laughs> you may trade having people like you to get power and make sure everybody else is obeying your will. So now you're violating their kingdom in a whole different way through coercion and yeah. intimidation and <laughs> steamrolling. And you will have to go into solitude. Uh, and realize it's his kingdom, it's not my kingdom. Yeah. So yes, I believe for people who are in leadership positions, solitude plays a uniquely indispensable role, mm -hmm. not only in their well-being, but in the well-being of the people who are around them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, John, I mean, thank you. Mm -hmm. The path that you've chosen, you could have chosen so many other paths, mm -hmm. and it has been long and winding and story is not over yet, but you've given yourself to surrender for many. I'm just sitting here just thinking, man, mm. you know, what you said about Dallas, that his life was even, you know, better than his mind. Mm -hmm. And I know you enough to say the same is true of you. You're brilliant. I wish I could just talk off the top of my head like you, <laughs> but the spirit that has been formed within you is a gift to us all. Well, so. may it be true. I, I, I know a lot more about that spirit than you do. <laughs> I wouldn't be if nearly Lance as here, she might just be <laughs> cackling in the background. But, but she'd be throwing up in her mouth a little bit. Um, but I take uh, that as words of aspiration and blessing. And no, it's a gift. So thank you. Um, thank for those you. that want to follow more of your work, hear more about um, your teaching, where would you point people? Uh, so there's a little online community uh, called Become New. And that comes really from Dallas's statement, the main thing God gets out of your life is the person you become. So uh, most of the time I do about a 10 or 12 minute teaching Mondays through Fridays, and people can check that out, become new. Beautiful, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to The Circle for your generosity to make all this possible. Again, we're a new podcast, feel free to spread the word. We're so grateful to be with you and we'll be back next week.